Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love domestic history and food history and trying out making things from history and otherwise. And we usually like to start before our main topic by talking about what we've been making and or baking recently. So what have you been up to? I have bad news and good news. Can I say the bad news first? Yeah, the bad news is I got up to the armpits on the Gamsley and then realised I'd been making it in the wrong size. So I spent literally an hour frogging. It hurt both my soul and my arm. As a fellow knitter, I can feel that deep in my soul. It, yeah, it's bad. I I got some maths wrong somewhere, but, you know, I immediately cast it back on. (laughs) Because I am nothing if not determined. That is tenacious. I feel like it's better to frog it, like, to rip it out straight away, though, rather than leaving it and then trying to do it because like if that's me i just won't oh yeah same and this is for someone Mm. the good news though okay yeah is so i made a mold of some dice masters that my sibling sent to me i made the lid for that mold and then i made dice in it (gasps) are these the resin dice or the soap dice Resin dice. Oh, nice. Dice will happen eventually. What kind of dice? Um, they are kind of a dark green with a copper um, glitter in. And then I'm going to, um, well, by the time this comes out, I will have done, um, ink the numbers in the copper as well. So it's got kind of like a verdigris vibe. Ooh. And yeah, the, the, the set of masters came with a second D20. So my mould has a second D20. I can say this because when this episode goes out, the person, therefore, will have received the dice. I am making the second D20 into a pendant. Amazing. Because imagine the power move of showing up to a D&D session wearing jewellery that matches your dice. Oh! (laughs) That is so incredibly extra. And I love it. I may have to make D20 earrings at some point just because there's two D20s in there. One of them should like have the one facing out and the other one has the 20. That would be very good. So yeah, very much swings and roundabouts with me this week. What about you? Um, Nothing that dramatic, I think. Uh, I made some wild garlic pesto. Oh. Tasty. Yeah, it was good. I am enjoying wild garlic season while it lasts. Um, although it's n- probably nearly over, I think. I should go check the patch. But um, yeah, that was good. Uh, I'm still knitting on my, my thing that I was last time. Your thing? <laughs> I mean, it's many things, but you know, one of these days you'll see me finish a knitting project. Um, I believe and... in you. It <laughs> happened. <laughs> but I've just started, uh, I'm going to a wedding on the 28th and I'm making a dress for that. And I haven't sewn a garment in a couple of years, I think. So it's it's going to go interesting, but I've had this fabric for like five years and patterns. So we'll see. Um, it's it's a very swishy dress with pockets. You gotta have pockets. And it's red and white polka dot. And I am I'm enjoying it. Um, but I'm on the stage of like I'm trying to lengthen the bodice because I'm a little bit tall and um like waistlines are always too high on me. So I'm trying to like make it fit. But also, this is the first time I've, like, properly tried to adjust a pattern. So, more on that as it progresses, I guess. (laughs) I've got four weeks. Lo, 
loads of time. Yeah. Um, but I've got I've got Betty out again. Betty is my sewing machine. So she's doing good. She's <laughs> she's been going since at least the nineteen eighties and she is still in perfect working order. So Yeah. So what is what is today's episode on? Today we are gonna talk about the humble stinging nettle. Okay. We've definitely brought nettles up in a few episodes. We have, and I thought we'd done it. Um, but then I saw it on our master list of like episode ideas. And I thought we'd already done it because, like you said, we've talked about it so many times. But apparently we hadn't done a full episode on nettles. So this is what we're going to do. And I'm just going to start off by saying this is a pro-stinging nettle podcast. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> we love them. They're so good. There are so many things you can use nettles for. And they're basically a superfood as well. So, Plus they're super good for like butterflies and bees and things. Yeah, pollinators. Like, if and... you have a garden reserve an area to just let nettles grow it's good for everyone yeah and they make great compost as well and oh man just so many things in fact there's so many things that you can use nettles for that i've had to split this up into the categories of medicinal food textiles and folklore okay so right we're not take we're not taking the usual um like history timeline route on this one it's <laughs> it's gonna be a nettle magazine if you will um and one fact about nettles that i'm gonna start with because it's relevant to us is that archaeologically um you can spot former sites of habitation because nettles love to grow where there has been human habitation um with all the like disturbed know. disturbed ground and like various like animal human waste and stuff um because they have been observed growing in these massive clumps um on sites where there previously was like a house or or a, a compound or something um and because like nettles have grown just around people's dwellings basically like as long as people have been making like dwellings and stuff um so you can tell because they'll be in this like abundant clump of nettles and they'll be that there just like won't be other nettles around like if it's out of like the normal place where you would find nettles which is like usually fairly like moist areas like if it's just the middle of a field and there's a massive clump of nettles that is a tell that there might be like a former place of habitation or um action there that's cool is that why they like graves so much because of the disturbed earth yeah i guess so that would make sense like, I know there's a lot of nutrients as well. Like, a lot of plants like graves, but nettles and graves mm. is, like, a thing. Hmm, okay. Yeah, so I thought that was a cool fact. That was a cool fact. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with the medicinal uses. Um, so nettles have been used medicinally for a really long time. Um, it's difficult to tell, like, how far back they go. Um, but they're used in traditional Chinese medicine, um, going back like hundreds, if not thousands of years, um, and are still used today. Um, they have really high levels of vitamin C and A, um, and they're also very iron rich and surprisingly high in protein. So yeah, they're basically a superfood. They're really good for you. Um, I think clinically, in terms of like what evidence there is for nettles being an effective medicine, there's not a lot of evidence. Um, just, I think, a lot of the time down to, like a lot of these things, 
they're just like no one's had the chance to do a lot of studies on it really so we mm. don't really know um but they're definitely good for you like just if you eat them um and they have been used in medicine for quite a long time um most often as a remedy for like rheumatic joints so, yeah so i will admit i i use them for sort of inflammatory pain because mm -hmm. i've got the whole thing where my knee gets very cross at me sometimes mm -hmm. um me and my mum actually um have found nettle tea does help a little bit with that uh, cool yeah i've um i read that they're often today used in the form of a tea which is also really tasty. Yeah. Oh yeah, I have your your herbal blend with the nettle in it that you sent me. Oh, the squirrel juice. The squirrel juice. It's really good. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so they were uh, used as a traditional remedy for sort of rheumatic joints. Um it's um it's thought that it was sort of considered as well that because they are because they are stinging um like they kind of cause um swelling but that might be one reason that people first put that together um because there are records of the romans using them um for that purpose um and also i don't know how true this is i couldn't find like the original <laughs> mention but i keep reading about the romans using them to stay warm in the cold british climate by like rubbing themselves with nettle leaves this feels apocryphal <laughs> that would hurt i don't know but then also and also i was trying to figure this out but i had difficulty finding them um the same place where i read that it was saying that it has like a, a counter effect if you're already like in pain and then you like rub nettle on it, apparently it like counteracts that instead of instead of like causing pain. I don't I don't try this at home. Yeah, this feels this feels like something that like a Victorian wrote down once and now people are just like, yeah, these are facts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it it might be true. I'm not saying that it isn't, but like please don't do it because I said so. <laughs> Seems us. Um, I guess it might distract you because it's more of an irritation. Yeah. It's like scratching an itch and then you get distracted by the feeling of the scratching. Yeah. Apparently, you know the whole dock leaf thing, right? Where if you get stung by a nettle, you're supposed to find a dock leaf and rub it on that and and it will like stop it stinging apparently oh, yeah. that doesn't work which has just like destroyed what? my whole worldview. what <laughs> i know that is i mean i've always felt like it worked that is a powerful placebo yeah me too like <laughs> i but then again maybe like you said maybe it's that like you're rubbing it so maybe that just like distracts you from the stinging um but like i I mean, I'm still going to do it because the placebo effect still works when you know it's fake. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also, like, looking for a dock leaf gives me something to do other than think about how much I got stung. So, <laughs> mm, so the reason that nettles sting you um, is they have, like, tiny, like, sharp hairs um, on them, which like basically stab you when you touch them um and they that sort of inject the chemical compound that causes the pain and the swelling are you telling me nettles are venomous <laughs> i'm not sure if it's venom it's an injected <laughs> poison it, i mean it's just it's just like <laughs> chemicals <laughs> everything's chemicals hazel nettles are venomous <laughs> I guess technically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm not a biologist. <laughs> um 
But, um, and again, don't try this at home unless you've really got some gumption. Um, but if you grab them really forcefully, that's meant to stop them stinging you, or at least reduce the chance, because when the hairs are lying flat, they're not stinging you. See, that, that's another one that I've heard and never been brave enough to try. Yeah, me too. It's like, <laughs> if you grab it forcefully and it doesn't work, then you just stung your whole hand. <laughs> I'm going to stick to my gloves. Thank you. Mm. Um. <laughs> we have the technology. <laughs> we do. Um, but, yeah, nettles are very good for you. Although, and this is another medicinal property... Um, but one that you want in its place, like when when you want this property. So in my foraging book, um, it um, which is the classic food for free, by the way, really good book. Um, it says you don't really want to pick them after the beginning of June, uh, to eat. Because one, the older leaves are a diuretic. Okay, so, so the longer you leave it, the more diuretic it is. Basically, they make you pee a lot. <laughs> um, so if you want that effect, that's great. But if you're wanting to have a nice soup, you, you want to keep it to the young sort of tender shoots or just the tops of the nettle, uh, like the fresh leaves. So they're also mentioned in the Nine Herbs Charm which is something I found out about today and is really cool. Um, it is a 10th century Anglo-Saxon charm, um, like medicinal charm, mm -hmm. about nine herbs. <laughs> and one of them is the nettle, uh, which in Old English I think is pronounced ditha. It's got the the little D with a line through it, which I think is an F. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would have to ask Nick. <laughs> so according to the Nine Herbs charm, nettle, it is called, it attacks against poison. It drives out the hostile one. It casts out poison. This is the herb that fought against the serpent. It has power against poison. It has power against infection. It has power against the loathsome foe roving through the land. Put to flight now, venom loather, the greater poisons, though you are the lesser, until he is cured of both. I wish to cross-stitch this. That is <laughs> incredible. It's so metal. It's just, like, it's the first time I've come across this, because pretty much most of the Anglo-Saxon poetry that I've read is either the battle stuff or like the riddle stuff um and this is it's like reading the battle stuff but it's about a plant <laughs> a powerful ally clearly it's so cool <laughs> um, so yeah it's one of these these nine herbs that are meant to be the most powerful in um <laughs> in driving out infection um, and you're supposed to, it says, at the end of this um, poem, that you prepare, uh, so you pound the herbs to a powder, you mix them with old soap and apple juice. Specifically old soap? Yeah, specifically old soap, apple juice, um, and you make a salve that you like apply to the wound, and you have to sing the charm three times. On each of the herbs before you prepare them, likewise on the apple, and sing the same charm into the mouth of the man and into both his ears and on the wound before you apply the salve. Into his mouth? Into his mouth. Okay. <laughs> so, again, I cannot comment on the efficacy of this charm, but it is metal as anything. Mm. And I love it. So in terms of food, um, again, we know they've been eaten since prehistory because they grow pretty much everywhere. They're free 
and they're a good source of a lot of nutritional things and vitamins. Yeah. Um, it's been eaten a lot of different ways. So there's nettle beer. Oh yeah, I've got a recipe for that somewhere. You have? Yeah. Um, my mum gave us a bunch of like books of traditional recipes, and there's one that's just brewing. Oh wow! And there's a nettle beer recipe in there that I do want to try making at some point. Please let me know if you do that. Um, because that's really cool. It seems to be more or less a traditional like country recipe kind of thing. Um, I yeah, was trying to called country wines and cordials. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like apparently the nettle is used for flavoring the beer. Um, mm-hmm. and it has like a kind of herbal flavor. I was trying to find like an old recipe or something, but I I couldn't really find any um like recipes before like the early 20th century although it's thought that it's just one of these country recipes that's been around for a while Um, it feels like one of those things you wouldn't necessarily write down it's just like well this is what i was taught to do and it doesn't seem at any point to have been like a particularly popular beverage (laughs) like it, it it never became like a commercial thing Mm. Um, it can also be used in place of rennet to make cheese okay yeah which apparently it is a bit harder but you can use it to make nettle cheese um so and not just as in a flavoring like um i think i did the cornish yarg oh um, yeah it comes wrapped in nettles doesn't yeah, it yeah yeah so that sort of flavors the cheese, but this is talking about cheese actually made using nettles to curdle the milk in place of rennet, um, which I suppose would be vegetarian. Uh, yeah, vegetarian cheese. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Probably less of an in, like invasive flavor than using something like vinegar or lemon juice. Hmm. Um, you can have the classic nettle soup you can use it as greens mm-hmm. uh in eastern europe and greece it's apparently used to fill pe- savory pastries so like the one i read about in greece was similar to a spanakopita so it's like a um filo pastry rolled up with a filling um but with nettles inside okay. which sounds pretty good yeah um and one one story that i particularly liked about eating nettles as food um is the story of millarepa who was a 11th century tibetan religious figure um so and this the story of this guy is is quite remarkable um if you want to go and look him up um but basically um he had sort of many trials in his life and ended up he, he was looking for enlightenment and he went off into a cave to like meditate basically um and he lived on nettles during that time and in tibetan paintings milarepa is often depicted as having green skin and that is because the story goes that he lived on nettles for so long that his skin turned green amazing um yeah uh but there's uh there's quite a lot of stories about millarepa and one of them involves uh a few hunters who sort of got got lost um and didn't manage to catch any game and they found millarepa and asked him for some food um and he was like well i don't have that much so they were like well we'll just eat whatever you're eating so he gave them nettles um and they were just like what what are you doing like you can't survive and become strong on this and then he gives them this whole talk about how um he's managed to become you know become enlightened like gain buddhahood 
on um on this diet of nettles um yeah so it's a bit of a a nettle smackdown <laughs> hopefully not actually with the nettles though that that doesn't feel very nice <laughs> no although <laughs> um that i read about i can't remember where but it was um being beaten with nettles as a punishment of course um yeah uh anyway moving on to the textiles section so yep um in case you have not come across it before uh because i hadn't until a couple of years ago nettles also contain a fiber that is very useful for making textiles so nettles i've made nettle string before with uh, the young archaeologists club oh awesome yeah so they the the reason is because they are a, a bast fiber so that is when you have it's it's the same as flax and linen so you have like a tall stem mm -hmm. and then within the stem um are these quite fine fibers that are they run the length of the plant so it's and then you process it by basically the same process as making linen out of flax which is where you have to ret them down which means the outside of the stem like rots off and then you can extract the the fibers uh, which can be spun and woven and processed into all sorts of textile including uh, we know it was used for string and rope as well um yeah so that is fantastic i think that's very cool <laughs> Um, and we know that they nettles have been used for making textiles um, for a very, very long time as well. And uh, one of the reasons we know that is the Lusahodge textile uh, from Denmark. Now, how, how do you pronounce that, the O with the line through it? I am not the person to ask. Okay, I am not sure. Uh, but it's... I. The, the Lusahuj textile from Denmark. And this is a Bronze Age textile that was discovered in a Danish grave uh, dating to around 2,800 years ago. And it is a woven textile that is conclusively proven to have been made of nettles. And there are these fragments of it that survived. And that's the, the picture that I sent you. And I'll put this up on the Twitter as well awesome so that and is how it is green i'm not sure if that's like just the sort of patina of what how it's been in the soil because it doesn't come out green when you process the the nettle it is possible that they could have dyed it green though which is just very pleasing to me oh yeah absolutely <laughs> And nettles can be used as a dye as well. So you could dye them. <laughs> yeah. What can nettles do? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so you can get a green dye if it's sort of to do with, with food or something. Or you can get a yellow dye um, also to dye like fabrics. Um, yeah, so this is a plain weave. Um, they call it a tabby weave. And it's 16 threads per centimetre. Which is actually a relatively fine weave. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Can you, so... what can you explain what a tabby weave is? Oh, yeah. So it's a plain weave. So it's just over one, under one, over one, under one, um, going both ways. Okay. So it's just the basic, like when you learn about weaving in school, it's just under, over, under, over. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this... This kind of changes the understanding of nettle as a textile um, because it was thought to be sort of like the poor man's cloth. Um, mm. Like people were using it when they couldn't find anything else. And this was actually in like a relatively high status grave. And it was, uh, it wasn't local. Um, it wasn't of local make. So they actually did strontium isotopic analysis on it. Um, and they postulated that it was made in the Central European area and then was sort of traded and ended up in Denmark. 
Okay, so it's fancy imported nettle fabric. It is fancy imported nettle fabric. <laughs> so that puts it up there with linen and wool as a textile of choice. Which, um, yeah, sorry to get a little bit nerdy there, but um, I think that is very cool. Um, that is very cool. <laughs> I said it before, if people aren't listening to this for nerdy little details like that, they're listening to the wrong podcast. Good point. <laughs> so, uh, nettles have been used for textiles uh, kind of around the world. Um, they are considered to be native to temperate zones of uh, Europe, Asia, and North Africa. Um, but they've pretty much spread all over the world. Um, they are traditionally used to make textiles in Nepal. Um, and they use the giant nettle, or the aloe, um, which is a slightly different variety, um, but still the same family. Um, and yeah, there's some amazing textiles that are made out of that in Nepal. Actually, um, one of my friends who is a weaver um, went to Nepal um, as part of a uh, like skill exchange project um, and came back with these amazing like knitted nettle lace shawls. Um, that were yeah, they were just incredibly delicate uh, and so beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So I'd I'd love to try processing nettles to make yarn. I did try it once, <laughs> and it I don't know what I did wrong, but I couldn't. I got to the like the stage of being able to extract some of the fibre but I think I wasn't sure where when I should stop resting them and like when I should start extracting so I don't know it didn't quite work but I'm gonna give it another go uh, however I have fun with Raimi so Raimi is another variety of the nettle family um, which is often used for clothing in China um, and it is still used in the commercial clothing industry. So if your clothing has a label that says it's partly rainy, that is nettle. And um, I think I've seen that a couple of times on stuff that I've bought and I, I didn't know what it was. Um, and yeah, it's nettles. It is a, a cellulose fibre, just like linen. So people... People listening could be wearing nettle right now and not even realise. You could, you could. Check your labels. <laughs> um, yeah, it was also used in Europe as clothing and many other things. Um, in France, I um, saw, I think it was a saddlebag made out of nettle fabric. Um, and that came from France in the 19th century. So it was still being used in certain places up till then. Um, and we know it was still being used in Scotland in the 18th century uh, because of Thomas Campbell, who writes... Uh, hold on. So he writes, In Scotland, I have eaten nettles, I have slept in nettle sheets, and I have dined off a nettle tablecloth. The young and tender nettle is an excellent pot herb. The stalks of the old nettle are good as flax for making cloth. I have heard my mother say that she thought nettle cloth more durable than any other linen. So there you go. Um, and I would think so, because um, I think it has slightly... Uh, what The variety of nettle in Europe, the, the common singing nettle, has slightly coarser fibres. Um, so I would think that it would make a very durable cloth. Um, and then in terms of folklore, um, there's quite a few things. So other than um, the sort of folk remedies, uh, apparently in Celtic mythology, thick strands of nettles or thick clumps of nettles indicate um, that there are fairy houses close by, which is really cool. 
thinking about the tendency for nettles to grow where there's been like human habitation. It does remind me of a lot of the you get um sort of Bronze Age mounds. Mm-hmm. You then get later folklore about them being fey in oh. some parts of Britain, especially the the Celtic areas and in Ireland. So I'm wondering if it's a similar kind of phenomenon. Yeah, maybe so. That's so cool. I love just like the interweaving of history and folklore. Cool. Um, that nine herbs charm that I mentioned earlier as well, that is one of the few mentions from Anglo-Saxon manuscripts of the god Woden, um, or which is another sort of form of the Norse god Odin um, that was very popular in Germanic culture at the time. Um, and it sort of throughout this poem, it mixes pagan and Christian sort of images, um, which is yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, so the poem has Woden smiting an adder <laughs> so hard that it flies apart into nine parts. Sure, classic <laughs> god stuff. Just as you do, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then that that kind of transposes to the nine herbs. Or it says here, for Woden took nine glory twigs and smote the adder so that it flew apart into nine parts. I don't know what the glory twigs are. Whether those are the herbs or not. Like I couldn't, I couldn't find an explanation of that. Um, but yeah, so connected with the nettles there. Um, and apparently in Norse folklore as well, Loki had a magical fishing net made of nettles, um, which I do, I do think they were used for nets as well. I mean, that makes sense if it creates a strong fibre. Hmm. And then you get things like, um, so I don't know if you know the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, the wild swans. Oh yeah, the is it nettle shirts? Yes. Yeah. So the I mean the long story short, um, this girl has seven brothers. It's probably seven. It's normally seven. <laughs> it's either seven or nine. Yeah. Um <laughs> I think it is seven. Anyway, so she has these seven brothers. And they get turned into swans by an evil curse. And she wants to turn them back. Uh, and in order to do that, she has to, first of all, not speak a word while she does it. And she has to make each of them a coat made out of nettles. So she has to like go and gather the nettles and then like process them and spin them and then make them either like weave or knit them into these coats and she so she does it and she goes to gather the nettles and they sing her hands and her hands are in pain but she continues and she makes the coats and um she but the time runs out just as she's not quite finished the last coat so she has to like throw the coats over the swans and they turn back into humans um except for the youngest whose coat isn't quite finished and he still has one like wing <laughs> instead of an arm <laughs> um yeah so that's another um i guess recognition of of nettles being used as a fabric like that would be uh, a usual thing but as well the amount of work involved in creating that and the the sort of creation the creation through the pain theme um yeah i mean she could have worn gloves but you know yeah like <laughs> <laughs> not as dramatic but she could have worn gloves yeah but it's not as dramatic <laughs> 
Also, she would have had to make the gloves first. She probably owned gloves. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure she's a princess, actually, so... She is, yeah. Yeah, according to this version of the tale um, that I looked at today as well, uh, it's a kindly fairy who instructs her to... who tells her what she has to do um, to turn them back. So I don't know why this fairy couldn't also have given her gloves. But... <laughs> Like, I'm sure the pain was an important part of it and all that because it's Hans Christian Andersen. But mm. also... <laughs> I Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's meant to be some kind of moral, but, like, I'm not about to do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's a relatively quick journey through all of the many, many, many myriad things that nettles can be used for. And... If you are a nettle hater, then I hope that we have managed to change your minds and you'll go and try and reap some of their benefits. That was that was very interesting. Oh, I almost forgot. Sorry, one more oh. thing. Several countries have idioms relating to nettles. Okay. <laughs> um, various things um, like... Uh, in Germany, they say to sit in nettles means to get into trouble. Um, in English, of course, we have somebody being nettled, mm -hmm. meaning they're annoyed uh, or irritated. My favourite one is the French idiom, which apparently translates as don't push granny into the nettles. Yeah, don't. <laughs> what, does, what does that mean? Apparently it means like don't you know, don't take advantage in a situation, like don't make it worse. <laughs> Just because you have the opportunity doesn't mean you should. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to steal that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Me too, but like I'll try not to say it around my grandma. <laughs> Dee and Daniel here, lovable mascot of the Probably Bad podcast. If you enjoy humorous discussions of tabletop RPGs, smattered with a little bit of actual play here and there, you'll love the Probably Bad podcast. And remember, Probably Bad is possibly good. So what is our local ladder today? Um, I thought that I would talk about Fugu. Um, which... You might be familiar with from that one episode of The Simpsons where Homer eats some and thinks he's going to die. No, I I don't think I remember that. Um, so Fugu is um, several different genuses of pufferfish. Ah, okay. Um, which is highly poisonous. But is also yes. a delicacy in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, we've got evidence of it being eaten actually right back to the uh, Jomon period, which oh, is wow. uh, the Japanese Mesolithic, essentially. Um, fugu bones showing up in shell middens about 2,000 years old. Wow. That does make me wonder, who was the first person who discovered the way to make them edible? That is a very good question. Um, so we actually have it being banned in the Edo period um, in the area that is called Edo and its um, sort of surrounding areas. Um, I should say Edo is um, the sort of historical name for Tokyo. Why did they ban it? Because it's not very safe to eat. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Um, it was actually banned again in the Meiji era, which, en which is an era that ended in 1912. Okay. Um, yeah, so... To become a 
fugu chef now because there's a there's very strict laws around serving it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, by Japanese law, you have to have trained for at least three years to be allowed to serve fugu, wow. uh, which is normally served either as sashimi or in a hot pot. And you have to use separate knives for it, obviously, just in case of cross-contamination. Uh-huh. They only introduced the fugu, I guess, apprenticeship, you could call it, in 1958. Oh, so before that, you just had to like get experience, however? I guess so. You just kind of... I feel like it was probably mostly a reputation thing, but I haven't found much on that kind of post Meiji pre-1958, how exactly that works. But it, it, se- it seems logical that it would have been sort of a, you know this person can handle it. Okay. Um, yeah, obviously it's a very expensive fish, which encourages... Mm-hmm. Interestingly, apparently means that you want to get as much meat out of it as you can despite, you know, some parts being more toxic than others, mm. uh, including the liver actually being the most tasty, apparently, but also the most, like, highly concentrated toxin. Ah. Um, so serving the liver is actually illegal and has been since 1984. Right. <laughs> um, is, is this, like the Sicilian cheese in that, like, I mean, it's it's not as gross as the cheese, but in that, it, like, it might be banned, but that doesn't stop people. Um, I haven't found anything about people selling fugu liver, which, I mean, is probably for the best. Hmm. But, I mean, the amount of strict controls on fishing, sale and preparation of it means it's probably a lot harder to get away with than it would be doing stuff like the the Sicilian cheese. You can't just sell it out of a car boot. (laughs) No, um, you you do have to pass a licensing exam after the apprenticeship, which has a 35% pass rate. Wow. Which is probably good if a slight mistake can kill someone. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because the the toxin in it is a neurotoxin, uh. which has a fairly low lethal dose. That sounds bad. Um, although, yeah, those those are report on, you know, how many people had died from it, and it's not as high as you would think it would be just because of the strictness of it. Okay. Um, But it is a poison that doesn't have an antidote. It's kind of get you to hospital and put you on life support and hope for the best. Oh no. So I, I think it's on the very short list of things I will not be trying given the <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure that's worth it. Um so yeah, that's that is Fugu. Um one of the most prized and deadly food items in the world. Wow. <laughs> I'd like I'd I'd heard of puff, puffer fish being a delicacy, but I didn't realise how toxic it is. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> I genuinely don't understand why people still eat it. Like, I, I, I try not to judge, but this is one where I'm just like, are you, you sure it's worth the risk? <laughs> I guess it's like a... to say you've done it kind of thing. I suppose so. Um, And yeah, there, there have been... Recent experiments at um, Nagasaki University, where they've managed to 
raise pufferfish with a lower amount of tetradoxin, including potentially being able to eat the liver. But I still don't think I would risk it personally. Mm. A lower amount of neurotoxin is not reassuring. It's still got neurotoxin in it. So, thank you for listening. Uh, If you want to support us, you know, keep the podcast going, help us buy craft supplies, things like that. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash bread and thread and get access to a Discord server as well as monthly Patreon recipes. We also have a Twitter at bread and thread where we will post pictures of things that we talk about in the episodes, uh, teasers for upcoming episodes, and we will just retweet podcast-related things. Uh, You can also find us on Tumblr at Bread and Thread, a similar sort of thing, as well as occasionally just posting things that I find interesting. And we do a Whip Wednesday on Tumblr, working for Whip Wednesdays. (laughs) That's good. Um, We also have a YouTube channel, also Bread and Thread, um, which is just our episodes but in still audio, but in YouTube format, because some people prefer that. And if you have an episode suggestion, a question, anything like that, uh, just want to say hi. We've had a, a few people email us just to say they like the podcast, which is very nice. These are also cool, but emails are nice. Uh, you can email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's it. So thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.